everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff. Joining me as always is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. How you doing? Hey, yeah, Jeff. Hey, uh, a lot of great things going on. Uh, a lot of baseball. It's in, we, are, we are just at full steam right now. I love it. Now, if you're wondering why Mark was being so generic there, <laughs> we're recording this two weeks ahead of time because yeah. I'm going on holiday. And what you didn't hear is what I edited out when Mark was saying that uh, he was looking forward to the All-Star game. That will, <laughs> Which, that will be uh, uh, on the extended version. That, yeah, that'll you be on the, that. the Super Fan episode in 20 years, the, the retrospective. But <laughs> we've got a good show today. We have got a very interesting topic. We've got a returning guest, John Vampatella, who is going to help us. We're going to go through some one season wonders and talk about some players that had some great seasons at one point and then couldn't reproduce that. So uh, we'll get to that here shortly. But before we bring John back in, we have got to get into our BP segment because we don't want to go in cold. So, Mark, I was uh, I was wondering I I was thinking about pitchers. I don't do mm-hmm. that often. I'm not I'm no. not a, a big pitcher guy like you are, but yeah. I was wondering how many Hall of Fame pitchers had never won a Cy Young or a Rollades Relief award in their career. That's a very good question. Because I see on social media all the time People questioning, hey, Nolan Ryan never won a Cy Young Award. Hey, Cy Young never won a Cy Young Award. Can you believe that? It's weird. But the first Cy Young Award was handed out in 1956. There have been 40 Hall of Famers. Well, no, there have been. There are 40 Hall of Famers who are pitchers. What? Uh, well, since then, let me let me preface that. Since 1956, there have been 40 Hall of Famers who are pitchers. How many do you think never won either of those two awards? I'm afraid to guess. To be perfectly honest with you, I was uh, I I was curious. I did not think there would be very many. So I went through and I looked. Twelve never won. Really. Either of those awards. Yeah. So we've got Nolan Ryan, who we mentioned before, Burt Blylevin, Don Sutton, Phil Necro, Jim Bunning, Mike Mussina, which I could have sworn he won a Cy Young. Wow. Mussina never won a Cy Young. Yeah. Jack Morris. That one, not as surprising. Jim Cat. Jim Cott. I'm sorry. Juan Marshall, who is kind of surprising he never won a Cy Young. Hoyt Wilhelm, Robin Roberts, Bob Lemon. And then the last two are kind of technicalities, Satchel Paige and Bob Feller. Well, each of them only pitched for one season after the Cy Young started to be awarded. So <laughs> not exactly fair. And I think Satchel <laughs> Paige was 704 at that point. And Bob Feller wasn't that far behind him. But <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Only 12 pitchers who pitched in an era where there were a, a Cy Young award. The Rollades relief didn't come around till late. Those starters kind of surprised me that some of them had never won a Cy Young Award. Um, Interesting article a couple of weeks ago on ESPN, and we've kind of touched on this before. This kind of harkens back to our very first episode way back when. Uh, They did a little study of war by jersey numbers, and they were really looking at kind of more contemporary numbers and players. I contend that 24 is probably the jersey number that has the most career war overall, because that's just a great number. I mean, Ricky, 
Griffey, <laughs> Willie well, Mays. <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty good ones. Yeah. Yeah, some really good ones. But they were kind of going more contemporary, and they only looked back towards like the early 2000s. I'm not sure exactly what the date is. But the jersey number with the highest amount of war with contemporary players. What do you do? You have any any guess? You know, I always want to guess 34. Yeah, that's not even close. Oh, <laughs> it's number two. No kidding. And this has a lot to do with Derek Jeter. Not no so Lord. much his war. Right. But the fact that the current crop of players who are really good that wear number two are accumulating a lot of war. So you got players like Xander Bogarts, Alex Bregman, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Marcus Semien, Gene Segura, uh, Nico Horner. Some of these young guys, Gene Segura, definitely not young, but these younger guys that are accumulating a lot of war now who wear number two. And they wear number two because they grew up watching Derek Jeter play. Yeah, that makes total sense. And here I, th- I found it. It's from 2005 through last year. Actually, the, the top name that wears number two, that wore number two, I guess, is Troy Tulowitzki. Tulo. He had the highest amount of war for a, a number two. So I looked up who just historically had worn number two. So Derek Jeter, in terms of war, ended up with a 71.3 total for his career. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, Jimmy Fox is number one, but he only wore number two for one season. So we're going to we're going to forget that. Ahead of Jeter is Charlie Geringer, the one mechanical man. Yeah. So he didn't wear number two his entire career. He wore it for 11 years out of his 19 years. And I didn't go through and break down what he wore just when he was wearing number two. But overall, he had 84.8. So I I think it's safe to say Jeter probably has a higher overall war while wearing the number two. Sure. But it was interesting just to see some of the names of people that also wore number two. Nellie Fox also wore number two for 13 years. I mentioned uh, Troy Tulowitzki. And uh, some other names that wore it for a while, but nobody that accumulated nearly as much with number two. Uh, Another number that's popular right now is number 13, which used to be like nobody wanted number 13, right? It's bad luck. It's found its its way from from being bad luck to lucky. Yeah, and I think uh, A-Rod, unfortunately, (laughs) was the pioneer there. I think so, too, yeah. So players, contemporary players that wear number 13, Manny Machado, Ronald Acuna Jr., Max Muncie, Joey Gallo. I'm not sure. (laughs) Too many people think a lot of him right now. Uh, Cabron Hayes, uh, Sal Perez, a lot of players wearing number 13. A-Rod, again, in that even in that time span, just from 2005 through last year, was tops in terms of war. Another number 28, very popular. Nolan Arenado, Matt Olson, Corey Kluber. There's a the, the only pitcher we've seen so far. Javi Baez, J.D. Martinez, Josh Donaldson. Uh, Buster Posey, who just retired uh, after last season. He is the all-time leader with 45 war, wearing number 28. But Nolan Arenado is going to pass him this year. So there's some other numbers that they did in this uh, in this article that were interesting. I thought it was uh, I thought it was fun to kind of look through those and see with the latest, the most popular numbers that people are wearing. Um, 42 and 24, it says, are the overall best numbers. 
Yeah, but 42 that, doesn't that seem sense. 42 doesn't seem to be accumulating much. Uh, no, 42 <laughs> I'm sure was it was actually very popular uh, before it was retired by all of baseball. Yeah, yeah, not not so much accumulating anymore. All right, so this show is going to debut on July 26th. And Mark, I said last week when we were doing this that it was one of the best crops of debuts we've had since we've started doing this. This week, definitely going to give them a run for their money. A lot of names made their debuts today. In 1928, Carl Hubble made his debut, nicknamed King Carl or Meal Ticket, which Meal Ticket is a great name. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Hall of Famer, two-time MVP, 1933 World Series winner, and won the ERA crown three different times. Uh, In the 1934 All-Star Game, he struck out consecutively five future Hall of Famers. He struck out in a row Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, and Joe Cronin. That's a pretty good crop of hitters. That is pretty good. Uh, I did not know this. His primary pitch was the screwball. We've talked about that. We're yes. big fans of the screwball. Their elbows are not, but we are. Yes. Uh, he did not appear in an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but he did appear in the 1953 movie Big Leaguer, where he played himself. Nice. Yeah. Carl Hubble uh, also won two MVP awards. Yep. It's and, pretty impressive. And also uh, had a telescope that he came up with that uh, was just replaced uh, in outer yeah, space. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff I, don't, I don't think that's him. No. Oh. Okay, my uh, notes. My notes sister. are. I did, yeah. my handwriting is not good. I can't. Uh, I, yeah, I understand. I've seen your handwriting. <laughs> but it's interesting. Those five people he struck out. People didn't strike out much at that point. I mean, it's not like today where it's yeah, I struck out, no big deal. It was like kind of a, a a mark on your record if you struck out back then. It was not something that was accepted like it is today. So that's even uh. more impressive. Another debut today, July 26, 1964, Tony Perez made his debut. Hall of Famer, two-time World Series winner, part of the Big Red Machine, a seven-time All-Star. He's nicknamed Big Dog, Big Doggy, Doggy, and the Mayor of Riverfront, which I like the last one a lot (laughs) better than just a riff on dog. Yeah. Although I'm a dog person, but, you know, still. As a rookie, his signing bonus for signing with the Reds, $2.50. <laughs> wow, I would have just given it back to him. Well, what that yeah. was... You guys can keep it. <laughs> that, that, was the, that covered the cost of the visa that he had to apply for to be able to come into the country. They oh also gosh. did give him a plane ticket to Miami. Which, oh, well. I'm assuming that's where they had spring training at that point. Otherwise, <laughs> must have been, yeah. Okay, we'll get you into the States, but then you're on your own. Yeah, he didn't sign with the Marlins. No, <laughs> no, he did not. Uh, and our final debut today, another, I mean, this is three Hall of Famers. 1977 Jack Morris. Okay, sure. Say, say what you, I mean, he's he's a Hall of Famer. He's not the greatest Hall of Famer, but he's a Hall of Famer. He's a workhorse. Jack Morris has the fewest plate appearances of any player in the Hall of Fame. Oh, that's funny. Regular season, because he did have a couple in in the postseason. He appeared at the plate one time his entire career in the regular season. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. Do you you think he got a hit? No. No, he did not. (laughs) He did not. All right. That's going to do it for our debuts. That's going to do it for our uh, BP segment because we want to wrap this up and we want to get into the main part of our show. 
All right, so we've got author John Vampatella back again. He joined us to talk about his uh, book, The Forgotten Game, which chronicles Game 5 of the 2004 ALCS from the perspective of a lifelong Yankees fan. Oh, wait. Wait, no? No. Oh, wait, I got my notes all mixed up here. No. <laughs> Boy, that, that's a major mix-up, pal. Yeah, he, is, he is a lifelong Red Sox fan. John, welcome back. It's good to, good to have you back again. Great to be here. I appreciate it. Well, having talked to you before, we found that you really fall kind of right into our sweet spot of baseball fandom time-wise. And so we thought we needed to have a good excuse to get you back here. And I think we've got a good topic for today. So uh, we're all familiar with one hit wonders when it comes to music, things like My Sharona, Tainted Love, Hey Jude, just you never hear anything else from the from the band. Well, we're going to look at some players in kind of the same light. So we're going to pick five players, each of us, we're going to pick five players, one infielder, one outfielder, one pitcher, and then two wild cards. Wild card! Now, see, I think some people will get that, John and and and. Mark did not. Just, but. just so you know, it's not at all loud in my earpiece. Oh, just well, so you yeah, know. That's, that's good. <laughs> could be any position. It could be a catcher, infielder, relief pitcher, setup guy. It doesn't matter. They all have one incredible season that they could never really match back up to again. So I'm thinking like Ryan Sandberg, right? He could never match those 19 triples in 1984. And obviously that's right. a joke. But He was never the same. Yeah, he was just, he was never yeah, recovered. Yeah, right there. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, we're looking we're, we're looking more for the Mark Fidrich's 19 and nine in his rookie year and then 10 and 10 in his four other seasons in big league ball. So that's that's kind of what we're looking for. I think the easiest way to find players like this, at least for me, it was was just looking at rookie of the year winners because it's it's definitely not the rule. But rookie of the year awards in the 70s and 80s was more of a curse than a blessing, I think. Uh, let's see what we got here. So let's get started. Let's let our guests go first. John, we're going to let you run the show here. So what do you okay. want to talk about first? Do you want to, are you going to go with an infielder, an outfielder, a pitcher, or do you want to use wild card? That's for Mark. I might just go all wild cards from now on, just so I can hear that sound. Yeah, just so you can get it out of the way. Is that <laughs> no, no, no. The more you hear it, the, the more uh, energy it gives you, I'm sure. You're right, right. No doubt about that. Well, I mean, I had, so when I was doing this exercise, this is a really fun thing to do, so it was a great idea. And I definitely have one guy that probably doesn't actually fit the standard category of one-hit wonder. So I'll save him for later. I'll save him for later. And I'll start off with a pitcher. And this is a guy who was on my beloved Red Sox. And it was in 1986 that he had a year like none other for him. Uh, but it, when I say his name, you guys are going to recognize that it comes with a little bit of a caveat for me. So here we go. Okay. Calvin Schiraldi. <laughs> That's where I thought you were going. Schiraldi. Now, as a Red Sox fan, for people listening who, who don't understand the caveat right away, 1986, he uh, he went as a reliever. He went four and two, no big deal. Nine saves, not a huge deal, but he he only pitched 25 games and he came on late for the Red Sox that year. And he he had a one four one ERA. He also struck out 9.7 batters per nine innings, which back then was a really sizable number. So he's a flamethrower, and he stabilized that 86 Red Sox bullpen, and he pitched great in the playoffs until Game Six of the 86 world series where everything came unglued and it proceeded to unglue his career basically, because after that in 87, he had a four, four, one ERA in 88, he had a four, three, eight ERA and went nine and 13. 
And he ended his career uh, as a 29-year-old in Texas with an 11.57 ERA in small innings. But he was brilliant that one year. In fact, the, the two seasons he played before 86, so he in 84 and 85, he pitched in about 15 games, and he had a 7.63 ERA. I mean, he just put it all together for that one brilliant stretch for the Red Sox and never came close to that ever again. Well, you, we might mention where those 84 and 85, for what team he pitched. Those in uh, yeah, yeah, the Mets, of course, which is really interesting because then he came. So, you know, it's almost like he was a uh, secret you know, double agent for the Mets during that World Series, maybe. I don't know. But, <laughs> but uh, he was actually underappreciated by a lot of Red Sox fans in 86 because he imploded in that sixth and seventh game of the, of the world series, but he was really good for Boston during that season had by far the best year of his career. Otherwise pretty lackluster career. Well, unwarranted Bill Buckner took all of that hate that was focused on Calvin Chiraldi and allowed fans to aim it somewhere else though. He certainly did not deserve it. Right. I honestly blame Mets fans for ruining Calvin Chiraldi's career. They, they were chanting his name and, in, and, in, in, you know, in a, such a, a, a negative, you know, like teasing him manner. And I mean, I, the poor sap, I felt so bad for him. I remember. Do you remember? Cause this was the first world series of a season that I watched the whole way through. I remember the Royals St. Louis uh, world series from 85, but I just watched the world series. I didn't, I watched the full 86 season. I remember the games at Shea, there were these two women that were right behind home plate in the first row. And they were doing like the NBA traveling sign every yes. pitch. Dude, I totally remember that. Oh, man. Every they pitch. Trigger alert right there because <laughs> that drove me nuts. That's, that's funny. You know, what's, what's funny about his World Series that year, he was great in the playoffs until game six. And he and everyone remembers game six for the implosion. But you, you rightly mentioned that, uh, that Buckner, you know, had the error at first base. And Bob Stanley didn't exactly uh, cover himself in glory in that game either. But it was really Game Seven that he really imploded. The Red Sox once again had a lead late in that in that game, and Chiraldi came on, and he was fried. I'm sure he pitched that he threw 55 pitches the previous game, but he pitched a third of an inning, gave up three hits, three runs. So in in two games, he gave up seven runs as the erstwhile closer for the Red Sox, and it was just. Oh, the poor guy. You just see him sweating bullets out there, and it was uh, it was a rough go for him. There's always got to be somebody that's got to lose the World Series, and yeah, be that guy. All right, so there's there's pitcher number one, Mark. Uh, who, who do you have? Uh, who's your pitcher? I have a guy named Dave Fleming. He may not be a, a household name, but that's what I'm expecting from this entire uh, foray into the one year wonders. Fleming uh, was pretty impressive for my Seattle Mariners. He uh, actually won 17 games in uh, his, it was actually his rookie year. He had pitched in three games the season before in a September call up 92. He won 17 games across from 10 losses with an ERA of 3.39 through 228 innings and had a whip ratio of 1.248 finished third in the rookie of the year voting. And he was just stellar. Just, I mean, he, I remember we all thought, this is it. This is our guy. This is our ace. Well, looking at the, the Mariners won 64 games that year. He right. won 17 of them. Exactly. He was, I mean, he was a man among boys, you know, as far as it comes goes for stats. He never recovered. He actually won 12 games the next year and had a, a good winning percentage, uh, better than the year before. But his ERA was up about a point and he only threw 167 innings. Um, because of some injuries. And then from then on, it was 
issues, arm issues, and, and he went seven and eleven the next year. And then ninety five, he tried to make it with Seattle again, tried with Kansas City, and just just didn't have it anymore. So you know, from uh, third place in the Rookie of the Year to uh, and seventeen wins to uh, being out of baseball within three years. Look at that. Uh, some of the numbers from that ninety two season where he came in third in the Rookie of the Year. Seven complete games, four shutouts. As a 22-year-old, yeah. yeah, you got Amazing. If you're a Mariner fan, you're thinking, all right, this is going to be a long run of all of our prospects coming up aces. He really really struggled with letting guys on base in 93, 94, 95. Uh, You you mentioned, Mark, his his, uh, whip, right? Walks plus hits over innings pitched in in 92 being 1.248, which is pretty solid. The next three years, 1.53, 1.86, 1.71. It was like the guy couldn't keep anybody off base. Right. Yeah, something interesting, uh, his brother is Will Fleming. If that sounds familiar, he's a play-by-play announcer for the Red Sox Network. I it, Well, isn't Dave Fleming? I want to say for some reason, isn't he? He's doing... an announcer, too, for so, the Giants. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, he's not, pretty sure he's across the bay here, but I wasn't sure if that was him. All right, so uh, we're going we're gonna to round out the pitchers right off the bat. So mine is somebody that's kind of, uh, it's um, I'm kind of working around the one-hit wonder, and I think you'll see why here. So my pitcher is uh, from the St. Louis Cardinals, Rick Ankeel. 2,000 runner-up of Rookie of the Year, starting pitcher for the Cardinals, 11-7, 3.5 ERA, struck out 194 batters in 175 innings. You've got to have wow. at least a pretty decent bit of control to strike out that many batters, right? No question. <laughs> the key word here being <laughs> control. Uh, what mm-hmm. was probably one of the hardest things to watch that I've seen in baseball was uh, Ankeel's ability to throw strikes uh, or the lack thereof. And it happened live on national TV in game one of the 2000 playoffs. Uh, it's the NLDS against Atlanta. I'm watching it because I got to know when I got to go back to work because this was in St. Louis. He allowed four runs on two hits, four walks, and threw five wild pitches. He, the, the Cardinals, though, won that game and actually won the NLDS. They advanced to the NLCS, where he got the start in game one as well, and he did not make it through the first inning. He threw 20 pitches, five of which went past catcher Eli Marrero. Two were officially wild pitches. The others came with nobody on base. And Keel appeared again in the seventh inning of game five, where he faced four hitters. He walked two and threw two more wild pitches. He was demoted all the way down to rookie ball, where he battled injuries before scrapping it all and said eventually, hey, you know what? I'm going to be an outfielder because it's that easy when you're talented like him. I guess it is. The Cardinals invited him to spring training in 2006 as a position player. He impressed with his defense, and he had a cannon from the, from the outfield, as you can guess, being a former pitcher. He could always swing the bat well, even for a pitcher. In his seven years in the big leagues uh, as a center and right fielder, he hit 25 home runs and knocked in 71 in 2008 alone. He became the first player since Babe Ruth to win at least 10 games as a pitcher and also hit at least 70 home runs. But clearly, nobody will ever do that again anytime in the future. Oh, after this. No, never happened. There's nobody out there that could possibly pull that off. No, and Keel is also the only player other than Ruth to both start a postseason game as a pitcher and hit a home run in the postseason as a position player. And that, I am saying, will never happen because the Angels will never make the playoffs, apparently. <laughs> yeah, a, certain, a, certain, uh, a certain pitcher we're, we're vaguely referencing here uh, would probably have to switch teams. By the way, I just want to say, that team, not to, not to derail the conversation, the Angels basically have probably the two best players in all of baseball. Yeah. And they're terrible. It's, ama- it's amazing. It just kind of goes to show you that baseball, 
probably more than just about any other sport, it's really hard for one or two superstars to carry a team. It's just not that kind of sport. You know, you need to have a good team. Absolutely. It's not the NBA where you have one or two stars and you can, you can do whatever you want. I do have one more note here on uh, Rick and Keel. In 2016, there was a movie called The Phenom, which I have never heard of, which was loosely based on Ankeel's career. It starred Johnny Simmons, Paul Giamatti, son of former Commissioner Bart Giamatti, and Ethan Hawke, who is not related to Andre Dawson. I watched the trailer when I when I read about this, and they really needed an advisor on set on how to wear a baseball uniform. Crimes against fashion on the on the diamond in this movie. Also, Johnny Simmons is in no way passable as a pitcher. He's lobbing in these pitches. And the radar gun shows a reading of 98. It's, <laughs> it's uh, feet per minute. Uh, feet <laughs> well, this per is, I found a review on Rotten Tomatoes of this movie that says, quote, the mental side of baseball might be critical to winning, but it's not all that exciting to watch. End of quote. So <laughs> the phenom, check it out. All right. So uh, we, we've got our pitchers out of the way. Uh, John, what's uh, what's next? All right. Fire up that sound, baby, because I'm going with a wild card. Wild card! All right. Hit us with wild card. Love it. All right. It's a, it's a catcher. Uh, and I'm going to go with Rick Wilkins of the Cubs. Now I got to say, Jeff, you, you, you kind of threw me a little bit with, with a selection of Ian Keel, not because it was, it was not a good pick, but because when we had talked about this, the rules were basically eighties and nineties players. And he was more of a aughts player, you know, he's more two thousands guy. He was in like 1999 though. Right. Yeah, but I thought the rules were he's got to basically play the majority of his years. So that's okay. I mean, you're, you know, it's your show. Hey, I'm you the, the commissioner here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, so I'm sticking with the, with the rules of the game, and I'm going with, with Rick Wilkins. Shame. So in, 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 <laughs> uh, in 93, he had one of probably one of the best years, uh, at least offensively, that a catcher's ever had. So 500 plate appearances, 30 homers, 73 RBI, 23 doubles, batted 303. He had a 937 OPS. Uh, just had a phenomenal season. He would never again hit more than 14 homers in a season. He would never again have an OPS anywhere near 937. He wouldn't even have one in the 800s. So, you know, he was a pretty functional catcher on a big league level, but he had that one crazy season where everything went right, and he had just a, a monster year, never to be even approximated in, in a year since. What's impressive, I think, is we're talking about a one-season wonder where this big season was in 93, yet he played all the way through 2001. Yep, so it was like he was a, he was a you know, legit major league guy. He had a place on a major league roster, but he just had that one crazy season. So I'm thinking if I was a Cubs fan in 93, you guys were talking about being a Seattle fan when Fleming came on the scene. You know, he was 26, and you know his career had steadily risen. So in 91 at age 24, he uh, played in 86 games, was a useful backup-type catcher. 92, he played in 83 games. He had eight homers, hit 270, had a 112 OPS plus. You're thinking, oh, this guy's going to be, you know, he's just getting close to his prime. Breakout year in 93, you're thinking, wow, 30 homers, 73 RBI. We got the next Johnny Bench on our team. And then kaput, you know, and that was kind of the end of it for him. So that must have been pretty disappointing for a Cubs fan. I was a big Rick Wilkins fan. I had him in Stratomatic. And to have a left-handed good hitting catcher with power and even had a minus two arm, which was means that he gets to take two steps off of the uh, guy trying to steal the base. So he had a great arm. He had pop. 
he had he hit for a decent average, a very good average. He got on base. He was like everything you wanted in a catcher. And then he had a rough year, and then he got traded to the Astros. And I was all excited because I'm an Astros fan. And then he just he was pretty average for the Astros. Never like John said, never really got anywhere near the uh, the 30 home runs, 73 RBI mark. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's see who you've got, Mark. Are, are you you got to give us one of your wild cards, and I will spare you the the sound effect. That's very kind of me. Man, okay. No, how about like, Wayne Garland? Ah! Thanks, man. Uh, We've become uh, a wacky morning show now. I, I know, right? <laughs> Wayne Garland. How about that guy? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I remember the um, name. I don't know a thing about him. Okay, 70s. He's pitched from 73 to 81. Good pitcher. He was, uh, you know, he went up and down from the, between the minors, 74 and 75. And in 1976, he's 25 years old, he's pitching for Baltimore, and he wins 20 games, 20 and 7, with a 2.67 earned run average, throws 232 innings with a whip ratio of 1.24. He uh, gets Cy Young Award votes and everything, doesn't win it, but 20-game winner and uh, was just outstanding in, in 1976. And he was one of those guys that benefited from being a free agent in 76, and he signed a big deal with Cleveland. Well, with Cleveland... He went the next year 13 and 19. So he went from 20 wins to 19 losses. His ERA was up about a point. He threw almost 300 innings. So it was could have been taken as toll how he was being used like that. He faced a lot more batters than he did the year before. Every bit of stats went up. And uh, I mean, I'm talking about earn run average, whip ratio, everything went up. And from then on, he won two games the next year, went 4 and 10 and 79. And by 1981, he had he was out of baseball. Now, Mark, I want to warn you, John might get on you here because the bulk of his career was in the 70s. Now, I made my point with you, Jeff. So I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember anything. He was out of the game long before I was paying attention, but I know the name somehow. I don't his know deal why. with the Indians was unheard of at the time. It was a 10 year contract. Wow. Worth $2.3 million. $2.3 million. Yeah, that's, that's right. a, You know, what's interesting is that his, 70, his 77 season. I think in today's day and age would be appreciated a little bit more because back then wins and losses for starting pitchers was considered like the biggest stat. And today things like ERA, ERA plus, those sorts of things matter a lot more. And his, you know, his ERA wasn't terrible in 77. His ERA plus was not bad. Nothing, you know, wasn't nearly as good as in 76, but he wasn't, he wasn't terrible in 77. Uh, he pitched better, put it this way, pitched better than that 13 and 19 record would have indicated, you know, Absolutely. but yeah, he kind of fell off a cliff after that. All right. So, uh, what I gotta, I gotta give you, Oh, I gotta give you a wild card. I was thinking we were doing pictures. I'm uh, all right. Well, I'm going to go with uh, a name that I had not remembered until I was uh, trying to put this list together. My wild card. One of them is going to be a pitcher. His name, William Van Landingham, also known as William Van launching pad by giants <laughs> fans. Uh, due to his uh, propensity for giving up a lot of home runs. So he only spent four years in the big leagues. Uh, he came up in uh, 94. He went eight and two, 16 games, 14 of them starts, a 3.54 ERA. Uh, he didn't strike out a whole lot, 56 in 84 innings, 113 ERA plus. Pretty good, above average, especially for a rookie. He did get rookie of the year votes, but after that, he just kind of fell flat. Giants fans were really excited for him in uh, 1994. And he never really led up to it, the final three seasons of uh, of his career. But what I wanted to talk about 
is uh, at the time that he came into the league, he set the record for the longest surname in the history of Major League Baseball. It varies depending on whether you want to count the space in between the uh, the N and the L in Van Landingham. It's either 13 or 14 characters. Uh, the record has since been broken or tied again by Jared Saltalamachia. This is the name I always use when I'm testing long names. A couple of interesting at-bats that he had. 1995, he faced Todd Hollinsworth, setting a record for the longest combined pitcher-batter name length at 26 letters. You know what's awesome about that is you're not going to hear that on any other No, this is, right this is <laughs> trust me, nobody else, <laughs> nobody else cares. <laughs> then in 96, he started against Jason Isringhausen which tied a record for the longest combined names of two starting pitchers. <laughs> That's awesome. So that is, that is great. I remember William Van Landingham. Uh, maybe it's just because he was on the Giants, but uh, he was thought of very highly for a team that was excited to, to grow some some pitchers that they needed. That was a name I had not thought of for quite a while, and I, I wanted to talk about him as soon as I as soon as I heard that name. Of all things to get remembered for, you know, the length of your last name. Now, I get that. My last name's 10 letters, so it's, uh, you know, I kind of, can relate to that a little bit. All right, John, you're up. What do you want? Who do you want to, where do you want to go next? We've got one wild card, one infielder and one pitcher, I believe. All right. I'm going to go infielder with a guy who, again, this is my last Red Sox guy. I promise you. Um, He's a guy that Red Sox fans thought was going to explode onto the scene. And he kind of did. Phil Plantier. He he showed some power in 91, uh, which I guess was officially his rookie season finished eighth in the rookie of the year, which was a good season. Like, and his rate stats were really good. You know, he had 11 homers and just 148 at bats. So you thought that great things were coming. He only played 108 games in 92, but then he ended up moving to San Diego. And this is, this is the year that I want to talk he was, about. He was traded, right? He didn't just say like, you know, when you were young and your parents had moved. We just moved, right? And, you know, all that promise that they thought he was going to have. So they, they moved him and, and, uh, in 93, in, in just 462 at-bats, he had 34 homers, 100 RBI, 843 OPS, and he just was launching balls left and right. Now, the thing that was really interesting about him, so you want to talk about like quirky things, is his batting stance. Maybe some of you remember. Looked like he was sitting on a on a very short stool, and I don't even know how he generated any power from from his batting stance, but he did. And it's it, if you guys are familiar with a guy named Gar Ryness, the batting stance guy. Does that does that yeah. ring a bell with you guys? Yeah. So he does a great a great imitation of Phil Plantier. So that's the that's what I you know when I think of him, I can actually picture him in my mind. Absolutely. You know, so that after that season though, he had a decent year in '94, 18 homers. Of course, that was a shortened season. But after that, he just again like so many of these guys just kind of fell off a cliff and never realized the potential that everyone thought he had. I remember that batting stance for sure because I liked I liked him. First of all, you know, he came up right when I was at school and we were collecting baseball cards with all of the money we were supposed to be using for, you know, food and stuff like that. And I remember the Fleer Phil Plantier card was one of my favorites. It looked it looked great. And he was standing at the plate with his kind of modified Jeff Bagwell, like a narrower Jeff Bagwell stance. That trade to the Padres uh, included a Pedro Martinez Yes, one of them. Not, not, the, not the Pedro Martinez, but a Pedro Martinez to the uh, to the Red Sox. Uh, you know what's amazing about Plantiers? Uh, by the way, Plantier was one of my wild cards too. Oh, so, all right, great. Uh, we, you know, wild great mind. Yeah! Dang it, Jeff. Um, <laughs> no, great minds think alike. I went for Phil Plantier as well. One thing that blew me away is that he had that 93 season where he had 100 RBIs. The most RBIs he ever had in another season was 41. 
So not even half. I remember when when he first came up, the first time we knew who he was, my, my friends at school and I, was from baseball cards, and we didn't know how to say his name, so we were calling him Phil Plantier because we watched <laughs> hockey, you know, and so right. we thought it was Phil Plantier for quite a while. <laughs> I heard somebody say his name. All right, well, then that takes, Mark, that takes care of your uh, your infielder then, right? Or, or That's right. All right. Well, I'm going to go with somebody right in the same vein. And this guy might be one of the guys that a lot of baseball fans might use just by default as a one season wonder. I'm going to go with Kevin Moss. Oh, man, yes. As soon as you said in a similar vein, I knew you were going. Well, he had a similar batting stance, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Didn't he didn't he hit a little bit in a similar fashion? It wasn't quite as crouchy, but I'm pretty sure he had a. He was pretty crouched down, crowded the plate and had a real quick trigger. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, first of all, one thing I did not know, he's from Oakland, so props to Kevin Moss. He's kind of, like I said, the standard for one season wonders. He rolls in in 1990 wearing that number 24 in pinstripes, like he's Ricky Henderson or somebody. And then for a team that would finish dead last 21 games out of first, in 79 games, he launched 21 home runs, knocked in 41, had a 367 on base and a 150 OPS+. plus. At that point, he set the record for the fewest at-bats to hit 10 home runs. He did it in 72 at-bats. That's a home run every seven at-bats-ish. That's crazy. Every two games, at least, he's essentially hitting a home run. He also set a record for fastest rookie to 13 and 15 home runs. Somebody snuck in there with the 14 and did it a little bit quicker. (laughs) But the next season, he played the entire year and basically matched those half season totals. But after that, it was a free fall. He was in baseball for five years, four of it with the Yankees. And then he uh, tried to come back in 95 with Minnesota, but just could never find that home run stroke. Now, this is something I had not heard about. About halfway through his rookie season, a group of a dozen or so young ladies began wearing things that were called moss tops. I don't. Okay. What would happen is these these women wearing moss tops would sit in the right field stands. Moss, a left-handed hitter, short porch in, in Yankee Stadium and right. So a lot of balls going there. Whenever Moss hit a home run to right field, these girls would get up. And uh, this article says that they would remove their tops and jump up and down until Moss finished circling the bases. I kind of have a hard time thinking that that probably went down completely, but uh, it was noticed that Moss's home run trot started to take longer uh, midway through his season, and there's no explanation. So Kevin Moss, man, I remember I still had some love for the Yankees at that point because Ricky was just a year and a half removed and uh, Mattingly was still on the team. But I remember remember him and Plantier were two guys that I I was very excited to watch. I remember seeing him hit one into the upper deck, just turned on it at the kingdom. Just completely turned on it right down the line into the 300 level. You know, we didn't have the ability to uh, use the uh, the stats that we have access to now as far as launch angle and all that stuff. But I wonder what that would have shown up as on, on those numbers because it was an absolute bomb. All right. So uh, we're a couple, a couple in here. We've done one wild card. We've done one infielder. We've done a pitcher. Uh, so we've got a, a wild card or an outfielder left. All right, let's see. I'm going to go with an outfielder. Okay. And it is Brady Anderson. Mm, well, absolutely. so let's, let's talk about him for a second. Now, he was a very good player, right? Very good player. He had a wonderful career. He ended up his career with 210 homers, 315 stolen bases. He made three all-star teams. So you think, one hit wonder, what are we talking about? Well, if people don't know about Brady Anderson, he – 
again, a good, solid, all-star or near all-star level player, but he had one season that just leaps off the page as a freak of nature, and that was his 96 season where he had 37 doubles, 50 homers, 110 RBI, and had a hundred uh, 156 OPS plus and, a, and an OPS of 1.034. So just it, like the power just came completely out of nowhere. Well, it, it came out of somewhere. It came out well, of a needle. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make that accusation. I'm just going to say it got a little strange. It got a little crazy there for him. Well, early in his career, you know, he hardly hit any homers, right? One, four, three, two, you know, during those years. And then he hit 21 and 92, 13 and 93, 12 and 94, 16 and 95. So, you know, he was, he was displaying a little bit of pop, you know, decent pop for a center fielder back then center fielders weren't really known for having tremendous power. And then all of a sudden 50 kabam. Then after that, it was 18, 18, 24, 19. So like he he went back to being like a like a fairly normal, pretty good player, but it was that one season that just sticks out. Like the crazy thing was that wasn't so in, in 1987, I was thinking about this with like Wade Boggs, in 87, Wade Boggs had a, had a career year homer-wise, and that was a year that a lot of guys hit a ton of homers. 96, there were a lot of homers hit that year too, but nothing like what Brady Anderson was doing. That was just kind of a freak show season for him. Never came close to approximating that again. When we talk about Brady Anderson, I, I need to get an opinion here. Who did more for sideburns in the 90s? Was it Brady Anderson or was it Luke Perry and Jason Priestley a 90210? That's a great question because I, you know, am a sideburns kind of guy. And for me, it was definitely Brady. Yeah. Well, for me, it was too. I mean, this guy was tanned. He was ripped, obviously, because of the uh, the steroids. Uh, and, and then those sideburns, he was everywhere. But the most important thing to remember about Brady Anderson is that he actually did appear on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Well, see, and that is number one on the that's, list for, yeah, for that's, Jeff. We that's know always got to be. That's going to be right up there near the top. All right, so uh, we've uh, let's see. We're going to Mark now with your outfielder. Yeah, yeah. I'm going back to the '70s again, specifically a guy that we know as a manager. And if you think of who who is a great manager for the Toronto Blue Jays, as you come up with this guy, Cito Gaston. Cito in 1970 had an amazing year, hit 318. He had 29 home runs, 93 RBIs, nine triples. He had an OPS plus of 146. So he just absolutely incredible season. He was an all-star. He got MVP votes. Absolutely amazing. He was uh, regarded as this, you know, this is the guy he's hit his stride. After that, nowhere near. He got to 291 some six years later, but mostly his batting average went from 318 to 228, 269, 250, 213. Home run wise, the next season he hit 17 as opposed to 29, and then it went down to seven. And then he had 16, and then from then on was all single digits. So just an absolutely amazing year in 70. And it just after that, it just didn't, uh, never had that kind of uh, uh, year again. Mark, you point out in, in, in 70, he had a 146 OPS. I think you're skipping his 176 OPS plus in 1978, his final year. Oh, well, that yes. was just in two games for Pittsburgh. Yes. But, no, Jeff, you're right. And and one of our listeners would have come after me for that. I'm glad you caught it. Yes, yeah, in, uh, in his two at-bats in 1978, he did have a 176 OPS plus. Well, he had, he had more at-bats than that during that year. That was just the last two with, with Pittsburgh. He, he, played, uh, he played 60 games for Atlanta that year, so that's why he, like – Really can't count that, but the what? Oh, uh, we're hey, gonna count it. No, we're gonna we're definitely gonna count it. Yeah. Here's the thing: we're talking about these guys, and and we're kind of we're kind of busting on them a little bit for having, 
you know, being one hit wonders and, and but like, wouldn't you kill to be a one hit wonder in the Midwest? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we guys, these guys are all professional baseball players for, yeah. a, I am paying an exorbitant amount of money come January to pretend to be one uh, for a week. So yeah, these guys are getting paid a lot of money to play this game and, and they're all good. We are definitely not throwing any sort of shade here. We're just, right. no, no, no. Yeah. We're just looking at some numbers we and get talking about their careers. We're, we're fans and we like to do some analysis type stuff. So that's what we do. None of us would ever get in, uh, go up to any of these players and say, yeah, you just never could cut it. Could you? Because they're oh, all, we, we, we all know we, we could have all, if we could have been professional baseball players and been an average ball player, we would have all done it. And, and this is the thing. It's like, these guys are all, I mean, they would be the best baseball player you've, you and I have ever known personally, right. you know, and uh, it's just, they're, they're so good, but it just tells you how good, like the really good players are. Yeah. You know, it's, like the actual all-star level guys are just so light years beyond anything we can actually fathom. Like we, because we see them go up against other guys who are as good, they look kind of normal, but it's like, man, if they came and played against your local, batted against your local high school ace, they would just light this guy up like nothing. Right. A couple of cool things here about Cito. His real name is Clarence. Yes. But uh, he goes by Cito as he resembled a well-known Mexican wrestler named Cito. Uh, well, he was, uh, when he was with the Atlanta Braves, he was, his roommate was a guy named Hammer and Henry Aaron. We've heard of such a guy. And, we've uh, talked about him, yeah. Yeah, I think we've we've discussed him before. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty cool to have roomed with Hank Aaron. Sweet. All right, so uh, let's move on to my outfielder, and then we've got one last wild card round. So my outfielder, and we're not going to mention that uh, Cito Gaston never even played in the 80s. We're going to just, we're going to look over that. Uh, <laughs> it was my, close, man. All right. So uh, my outfielder is a guy I don't I don't know if we've ever talked about him on on an episode before, but I'm going to go with Joe Charbonneau. Oh, sure. Which uh, I think he has the most vowels in his last name uh, of anybody here. I think he also has the most nicknames as anybody on this list. He went by Super Joe, Jolton Joe and Bazooka Joe. But uh, (laughs) these three nicknames also equal the number of seasons that uh, this uh, 1980 Rookie of the Year played in his entire big league career. He holds the record for the fewest career games actually played in the major leagues by a Rookie of the Year. He only played in 201 more games in those two seasons. But in 1980, he appeared in 131. He hit 23 home runs, had 87 RBI. Uh, Let's see, that's good for a 289 batting average, a 358 on base, and a 129 OPS+. He finished, like I said, first in the Rookie of the Year balloting, beating out Dave Stapleton. There's a good Red Sox name for you. Before he even made the big leagues, a couple of things that, these are just the kind of things that I like to talk about, for sure. Before he made the big leagues, that year he was playing in an exhibition game in Mexico, and a fan leaped from the stands and stabbed him with a penknife, tearing a four-inch gash and actually hitting a rib. The assailant was (laughs) was arrested and fined 50 pesos. 50 pesos? Harsh penalty. How much was 50 pesos worth in 1980, you might ask? That's $2.27 for stabbing a human being. (laughs) $2.27. Man, I would fork over five bucks for the chance to stab someone twice. (laughs) And get change back. Yeah. Enough for a Coke almost. Uh, But a couple of other things about uh, Charbonneau I found interesting. He was known for uh, consuming beer in a unique way. He would uh, drink it through his nose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah. And how would he open those bottles of beer? Well, he did it with his eye socket. 
Wait, okay. what? Have you seen these guys? They'll put it in their eye and then they'll just kind of close their eye around it and twist it. No, it's obviously got to be a twist eye. off. It's not. Gonna be. <laughs> if he was doing it, if he was blinking it off with his eyelid, <laughs> now that would have been impressive. Yeah. Well, get this. He also did his own dental work. <laughs> And one point, he fixed a broken nose using a pair of pliers after taking a few shots of JD. Wow. So uh, This guy might deserve his own show. Yeah, well, I know. I feel like I'm kind of blowing it all here. <laughs> he suffered from back injuries after hurting himself in spring training in 1981, which uh, helped shorten his career. Uh, Joe did not appear on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but he was an extra in my favorite baseball movie, The Natural. Nice. Oh, nice. nice. All right, without looking it up. Who won the NL Rookie of the Year that same year that Charbonneau run? Well, won it's, it's right here on my five guy. Oh, who? Well, here let's let's let I'll give Mark one clue, and I guarantee you he'll get it. Yeah, the right, the right, the right, the right clue will give it away for sure. Eight ball. <laughs> You're talking about Steve Howe. There, yes. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm I'm trying to recall how many lifetime suspensions he got from Major League Baseball. It was, Off the top of my head, I don't know, but it was several, wasn't it? It was it was a handful. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they don't really count, as, you know, for much if there are lifetime bans and you get multiple of them. They have different lifetimes. Pete Rose is is scratching his head. He's yeah. <laughs> all right, so we are on to our final round, and it is all wild card. All right, so that that encompasses the whole round, so I won't need to keep doing it, Mark. All right, right. John, what do you got? All right, so we had referenced 1987 earlier, right, as being a big year for one-hit wonder types. So I'm going to go with Manny Trio. Now, Manny Trio, his numbers don't jump off the page at you uh, in terms of raw raw stats. But here's the interesting thing. He started his career uh, in the majors in 1973 at age 22. For years, he was just kind of a, a decent you know, solid and decent infielder. They had two pretty good seasons uh, for the Phillies in 1881, where his raw numbers were better than the year I'm about to describe. But it was in 1987 at age 36 that his, his rate stats kind of went crazy. He had a, he had a 112 OPS plus, which was the best year of his career. He had an 811 OPS, which was the best of his career. And in just 214 at bats, he had eight homers. Now, again, we're talking about, we're not talking about Plantier or Moss or, you know, guys jacking 30 balls, but, for him, eight homers in just 214 at-bats, let's put it this way. He had had seven homers on three different occasions, but those were always when he had 500-plus at-bats. So for him to hit eight in just 214 at-bats at age 36 tells you something about that season. So, you know, he had a really good year, about a 294. Pretty nice work for a guy who was at the tail end of his career. You know, he was a four-time All-Star, so you can quibble with whether this was a one-hit wonder type guy. But I just thought that year just really stuck out as just kind of one of those things that stat line had been going down, down, down over the course of his career. And then all of a sudden, he has this little renaissance at age 36 during that uh, crazy 1987 season. That home run total is very impressive because he's listed here at 150 in terms of weight. Not a big guy. Not a big guy. A little dude. Yeah, but you look at all four-time All-Star. He won two World Series, three gold gloves, a couple of silver sluggers. I mean, uh, that's uh, it's pretty impressive. And he had a long career, 17 years. Yep. Now, the Silver Slugger is funny because in 1981, those are the two years he won the Silver Slugger, right? I mean, he hit seven homers and six homers, right? He batted <laughs> 292 and 287. Those are the days when shortstops did not produce much offensively, obviously. I saved him for last because 
I mentioned at the very beginning that I had one guy that I wasn't really sure how it was an unorthodox pick. And this is, the, this is why, because his raw numbers were better in some other seasons and he got more accolades, but just eight homers and 214 at bats really jumped out at me as like, Whoa, where did that come from? Most of our picks so far, their, their best year that they could never live up to is at the beginning of their career. And here it is at the, at the tail end. So that's, that's pretty cool. All right, Mark, your last wild card. My last wild card is a guy who in 1999 hit 34 home runs, 107 runs batted in, stole 21 bases. He had an OPS plus of 139 and his OPS was 957. He is best known for hitting two grand slams in one inning. Anybody want to guess? Senior is all I'm going to say. Exactly. Fernando Tatis, this is senior. Incredible year, 99. Absolutely, he played good third base. He was always out there messing pitchers up any chance he got. The 34 home runs was massive, the 107 ribs, uh, and then 21 stolen bases he, was the most of his career. And that was uh, with only nine caught stealing, Jeff, so not horrible. It, it's bordering on on maybe thinking about not taking off. Right. So, but uh, yeah, career numbers in, in every category in, in 99. After that, it uh, just wasn't the same. He had 18 home runs the next season. He was hurt part of the season. And then the next year, he, he only played in 41 games, 114 games. And then from then on, it was just battling injuries until 2010. He played part of a season with the Mets and called it quits after that. I remember, boy, I remember him coming up with the Rangers for sure. Yes. As an, yes. well, you probably do too, as an AL West guy. Yep. Pretty worried about him coming up. But uh, yeah, kind of that one season. I mean, his, his second year in the big leagues when he got traded had a pretty good year as well. But definitely nothing that his son hasn't like already matched, except for the sheer number. It's an interesting trade to look at too. Uh, it was at the trade deadline, and the Rangers traded Tatis with Darren Oliver and Mark Little to the Cardinals for. Royce Clayton and Todd Stottlemyre. You know, talking about Tatis and his, and his his son, it just seems to me. And again, I I don't know how this went in years past, but it feels to me like there's more great sons playing in Major League Baseball now than maybe there ever has been. I just think there's so many guys who are really good whose dads, you know, also played in the majors. You know, I haven't done a total on this, but it just it, it just has jumped out at me. You know, how many great players there are in today's game that their dads. Absolutely, I think there's a higher number of just second or third generation players period that are at the major league level as well let alone yeah you've got the absolute mega stars like tatis jr and uh, vlad jr Um, and it looks like bobby witt might be ascending to that kind of level as well but i mean just the sheer amount i mean there's there's bichette there's biggio there i mean and i'm just stuck on the on the blue jays right now but i mean there are a ton of second or third generation players in the big leagues right now Look at all the nepotism going on. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, that's it. None of them can perform, like especially that Vlad Guerrero guy. What's he doing (laughs) in the big league? Yep, yep. It's all your family ties. That's all. That's right. All right. So uh, we're going to get to our final one here. It is my final wild card. And I don't know, for me, this is a guy that I think of immediately as kind of being a one-hit wonder in the big leagues. But then I know the kind of success that he had elsewhere, which... It is incredible success that he had elsewhere. Uh, so my final wild card is going to be Tuffy Rhodes. So this was a tough one because Tuffy isn't really a one-season wonder, like I said, in Major League Baseball. He was more of a one-game wonder in the MLB. Specifically, opening day 1994 against the New York Mets, he literally murdered Dwight Gooden on the mound at Wrigley Field in front of 38,000 witnesses. Three home runs, all of them against, <laughs> against Doc. 
I mean, this was national news. I think this was like on NBC News, not just Sports Center. This was a, a huge, a huge thing, especially on opening day. Uh, the Cubs still lost the game despite the the big game from Tuffy, but they were the 1990 Cubs, so you got to kind of expect that. He would only play 23 more games in Major League Baseball after that season before setting off to be a superstar in uh, Japan in the NPB, playing in 13 seasons between the Kinetsu and Oryx Buffaloes and the Yamaura Giants. There he hit 464 home runs, including 55 in 2001, to tie Sada single season mark before being very unhonorably intentionally walked for the rest of the season so that uh, a foreigner would not break the uh, this Japanese record of single season home runs. Uh, he became just the second player to accrue enough service time in the NPB to no longer be counted as a foreign player for roster purposes. Wow. That's how long he was over there, which is a huge boom for whatever team he's on, because then you've got an extra spot open for foreigners there. But man, the team, or the numbers that he put up over there were just incredible. He hit for average. He hit for power. He drove in runs. Uh, he stole a good number of bases while he was there when he was a little bit younger. He really played well. He played all the way through 2009 at age 40. And uh, was still effective there. So here's here's what I remember about Rhodes is that it was about 1990 or 91 that I started playing rotisserie baseball, not fantasy, but rotisserie. And uh, so I think 93 was like my third, third or fourth year playing. He got off to that monster start in game one. And if you if you guys ever played rotisserie baseball, kind of the standard operating procedure was you waited one week before you had your draft. So you so you got to see the first week of the season play out. So he was one of those guys that got that got either drafted or if you did an auction, he cost a lot of money because people yeah. jumped all over the Tuffy Rhodes bandwagon after that first game. And then after that, he did nothing the rest of the year. I remember the same exact thing in the rotisserie league I was in because you're going to get his stats no matter what. So you're like, basically, I'm buying three home runs here, right? You know, this is a, I can easily get that. And I remember him going. It was a it was a big auction style draft. And I remember him going for way more than I would have thought. And uh, of course, as the season panned out, as Jeff told us, the uh, the big game was a kind of a one game wonder. He went for a lot in the Japanese rotisserie leagues, though. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. <laughs> all right. Well, I think those that's a pretty formidable squad. If we combine all five of our players to a super squad of 15, I think that's a pretty formidable team if we're playing for just one year. Absolutely. Yeah, especially if you let them all have their best years. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, if I was if, if we give them all their their career years, I would uh, I think we might need some relief help. But um <laughs> Chiraldi's not enough. Where we got Calvin? Yeah, I guess he can he can he can uh, he can work at the end of the bullpen. All right. All right. Well, we're set then. And it's only 15. So we we don't need this 26 man roster. All right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, for our uh, looking back at uh, one season wonders. Uh, John, we appreciate you giving us our list there, your list there. Let's see. So you have been on the show before. So you actually have a score in Wax Packs Heroes. Yeah. And if I'm looking at the leaderboard here, since we reverted to the uh, to the removed the Beckett's scoring and we we're kind of gone with the conventional war scoring, you are actually still atop our leaderboard. Oh, nice. You, uh, nice. you, you're just ahead of Dave Dravecki, Rick Riz, uh, the Mariners radio announcer, and then Bobby Valentine, since we kind of refreshed the list. That's uh, our top four right there. 
Well, so, I, did, I did work very hard for that. <laughs> yes. It's, it is a grueling sport. Yes, no doubt. Yeah. So uh, we're going to give you a second chance here. All right. Uh, to extend your, see if you can do any better. Okay, I got to knock that guy off the top perch here. All right, so John, you are going to have a little bit of a say here, like I said. I've got two packs here. I'm going to let you choose which of oh, these boy. packs you want. So we've got 91 Don Ross in the mint, or we've got 1990 in the orange. Well, I'll go with, oh man, I'll go with 90 and hope there's a Roger Clemens in there. Just because he had a great year that year. All right. So uh, we'll open this and uh, let's see what you've got again. Your high score is a 26.1. So here we go. First, uh, well, this kind of fits in with our 80s and 90s and and nicknames and stuff. It's Spuds McKenzie, Chris Sabo. (laughs) All right. That's a good start. He was good. I'm happy with that. Goggles and all, right? Yep. So you know you're going to get some points uh, right off the bat there because... uh, I guess we didn't go over the rules, did we? Oh, <laughs> forgot. Yeah. So let's let's remind everybody because it is a little bit different than when Mark and I play each other. So uh, you get uh, a baseball reference war from uh, in this case 1990. Uh, you get an extra tenth of a point of war if they are wearing anything on their eyes, eye black, glasses, sport goggles, anything like that. If they're wearing real stirrups that we can see, that's another tenth of a point of war. If it's the two and ones, that's a minus a tenth of a point. If they've got uh, sweatbands with their caricature or jersey number on it, that's a tenth of a point. If they've got a good mustache, that's a tenth of a point, and we can award it a bonus tenth of a point if it's a Tom Selleck-esque mustache. <laughs> and if they're in the Hall of Fame, you get a whole extra point of mm. war. So, yeah, you you already get uh, the goggles here, and he's got real stirrups on. So that's right off the bat. That's uh, extra two-tenths of a point. 1990. An all-star that year. That doesn't help you in, in the scoring format. But, see, he appeared in 148 games, hit 270, a 343 on base. He had 25 home runs, 71 RBI, 25 stolen bases, and a 119 OPS+. plus. He did also, unfortunately, win the World Series this year. But we're not going to talk <laughs> about that. And that is good for a war of 4.2. Plus the two-tenths of a point right out of the barrel. You've got a 4.4. Nice. nice. Good start. Good solid start. Uh, I would, uh, I would, if we weren't going so long, I would play his drunken victory speech uh, from the parade because <laughs> that just cracks me up. But all right, next we have got uh, a shortstop here for the Twins. I mean, if I say 1990 Twins and a shortstop, who, who do you think it is? You got Gaetti at, at third, Knobloch at second, Roy Smalley. Nope, I think he was the, he was the utility infielder. It's Greg, Greg Gagne. Gagne. There you go. Oh, right, of course. He was a, he was a good player. I doubt his WAR is very high, but he was a pretty solid overall player. Wow, yeah. I mean, he played in uh, he played all all the time. I'm looking at this. He's 156, 149, 149, 146, 159. I mean, he played a lot in 1990. 138 games. Seven home runs, 38 RBI. You weren't really expecting a lot with the stick from uh, from Greg Gagne. 235 average, 280 on base, and a 74 OPS plus. And that equals a war of 3.2. That defense, defense was solid. Yeah, that yeah. Defense and, and again, back in the day when, when there weren't many great hitting shortstops, right? So right. war takes that into account. I, I was reading on a social media on one of the groups I'm in. You can always tell the Yankee fans. Uh, this guy posted that he, this long rambling diatribe about how war was created just to screw Derek Jeter's legacy. 
<laughs> Great. I like it even more. As a stat. <laughs> yeah. Then, then I, I am bumping up war on my list of cool stats. <laughs> All right. Next. Wow. I think this is going to help you big time here. This guy was uh, a pitcher in the, in the eighties, the nineties that was just an innings eater and a great pitcher for the blue Jays, Jimmy key. Oh, oh man. Nice. Gotta love Jimmy key. He was, he was really good. Yeah. So, it's definitely the best year, but I'll take it still. Yeah, 15 years in the big leagues, first of all. I, I mean, he was, a, he was a lefty, but he was just a great pitcher. In uh, 1990, he went 13-7 and seven with a 4.25 ERA, 154 and two-thirds innings thrown, 88 strikeouts, a 97 ERA plus. And that equals a war of 1.5. Actually, your lowest uh, war total and maybe your best... <laughs> your best player, best player. Uh, he does have those science teacher glasses and real stirrups though so that will that will help you as well Bump nice you know it's one of those where we just missed by a year like if i had gotten him in 91 or in 93 like his war goes through the roof but i uh, just kind of got him on a well it tells you how good he was this was kind of a down year for him and uh yeah. and he was still really solid yeah career 186 and 117 not bad. Twice finished second in the Cy Young voting, but did not win a Cy Young award. Boy, he had he had two seasons, one of a 7.4 war and another of 6.3. That is wow. That's incredible. All right. Uh, next, we've got a guy that tells one of my favorite Ricky Henderson stories where he picks up the phone and it's just Ricky says Henderson or uh, Henderson here. It's uh, Harold Reynolds. Oh, nice. Great former Mariner. Let's see. Harold Reynolds. Oh, I'm, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this. Go ahead. You, you can say it. I'm just smiling, listening to this. Though. <laughs> uh, let's see, because I don't see the war yet. I read all the stats before I scroll down to the war. So I, I'm interested to see here. So uh, a lot of at bats and plate appearances for uh, in 160 wow, games so. for Harold Reynolds this year. Uh, let's see. Five home runs. That was that was a career high, but uh, definitely nothing that you you're looking for out of Harold Reynolds. Fifty five RBI, thirty one stolen bases, sixteen caught stealing. Yeah, bad ratio. Yeah, that's not so good. But uh, he walked eighty one times, a three thirty six on base, a ninety two OPS plus, and uh, all of that equals a WAR of four point eight. Yeah, baby. Very nice. He also, uh, he won a gold glove. Yep, uh, he did. We, we don't get points for that in this scoring system. But I just wanted to point it out. That was his third consecutive gold glove as well. Yeah. Uh, he definitely has a mustache. Uh, it's it's just a tenth of a point mustache. That, that'll help you with a 4.9. And nice. I, think, I think you're rocketing towards uh, passing your score. You're at 14.2 already. Yeah, I'm, I'm due to get some down guys, but let's, yeah. let's see how it goes. All right, well, here you've got a rated rookie. Uh, this is a right-handed reliever. This guy pitched forever, even though he was a right-hander. And uh, he became rather portly by the end of his career. Not that I'm one to talk. It is Mike Fetters. He said portly. My first thought was Juan Berenguer, but okay. <laughs> oh, I would have been uh, already talking about Senor Smoke and Il Gasolino if it was... Uh, Sid Fernandez. <laughs> Uh, or Rich Garces, that, that guy. Yeah. That big guy. El Guapo. Yeah. Mike Fetters, a.k.a. Fett Dog. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> it's uh, not real creative. No. Uh, 16 years, though, in the big leagues. He pitched till age 39 with a bunch of teams. 
Uh, he played just about everywhere. 1990 was his second year in the big leagues. One and one, 4.12 ERA in 26 games. Actually started a couple of games that year. Only accrued 67 and two-thirds innings, 35 strikeouts, a 93 ERA plus. And that equals a war of 0. 0.6. Uh, he does have a mustache on there, too, so that'll be a .7 for you, so not too bad. Yeah, not bad for a reliever. All right, next you've got a pitcher for the Cubs, Paul Kilgus. All righty. Stun silence. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to put the name with a face, and I'm not coming up with anything. I bet Rick Wilkins caught him. Probably, yeah. Paul Kilgus played for six years in the big leagues for five different teams. Let's see, in 1990... He was with Toronto, actually. He appeared in 11 games there, no record, 6.06 ERA. Uh, not a whole lot going on. I, his yep. best year would probably be an 88 with the Rangers when he went 12 and 15. But uh, all of this equates to a war of minus 0.2. He does Bang have a mustache. mustache, though. Yeah, but he has got the fake stirrups on, so that's going to wipe out that. Yeah. Uh. And uh, so that'll leave. That's your first minus. Now, now you got to watch out. This is when it uh, going the wrong direction. Now. Yeah, I think. Well, this isn't going to help you. But this, uh, if you want us to mail you this card so that you can retire on it, we we can do that. Second baseman for the New York Mets, Greg Jeffries. <laughs> this isn't a rookie card, so you're really not going to be able to. Right, right, right. Retire on this one. It's not the '88 Donruss, the Chase card of the century. But uh, Greg Jeffries had a pretty good career, 14 years. I mean, that's better than than pretty good. That's excellent. Uh, Two-time All-Star and uh, played for the Mets. He came up with the Mets for five years, Philadelphia for four years, and then a bunch of other teams just here and there. In 1990, he led the league in doubles with 40. Very nice. 283 average, 337 on base, 15 home runs, 68 RBI, 11 stolen bases, only caught twice. Wow, he stole 46 bases in 1993. Yeah, wow. faster than you think. Yeah, I mean, he double figures 10 times in yeah, 14 years. In that, is, uh, that is very impressive. And uh, that's good for a 111 OPS plus and a 2.8 war. Uh, he does have real stirrups on there, so that'll be a positive 2.9. Also, no batting gloves in this, in this shot, which would get you extra points uh, in Mark and I's game now, but uh, always props for that. All right, this guy uh, is an Adonis. That's all I can say. This this guy is one of the most ripped players I have ever seen. Broke his bat over his back in a follow-through in the 90 World Series against Dave Stewart. It's Glenn Braggs with the Brewers. Nice. Yeah, he swung the bat pretty hard. It's nice when he made contact. Yes. Swing hard in case you hit it. Yep. <laughs> Let's see. Seven years in the big leagues. I... I Thought for some reason, maybe, I, not maybe, I thought for some reason he played longer than that. But seven years, in terms of home runs, 70 career home runs. So not as much as we would have thought. 1990, like I said, he won a World Series, yada, yada. Split time between the Brewers and the Reds this year. Ended up with nine home runs, 41 RBI, eight stolen bases, seven caught stealing. That's not good. 280 average, 365 on base, and a 114 OPS+. plus. And that will equal a war of 2.4. Not bad. Wow. Not bad. Let's see what we got on this card. He has got uh, the two and one stirrups, unfortunately. So uh, that will be a 2.3. He's got a mustache, right? I cannot see it here. It is too far away. 
Well, he does have a mustache, but I don't know if it shows up. Yeah, in the card. he usually had a mustache, but I cannot see it here. It is just too far away. Well, hold it up. I can I can see it from my screen. I can see that mustache. Yep, yep. There it is, right there. <laughs> Actually, I can't. Well, no, he's puckering his lips there. No, that's a mustache. Mark, what's your ruling? Uh, it's I don't want to rule. It's too hard to tell. All right. Well, we'll give it to you. I I All think right. I think he's puckering his lips there, but we'll we'll give it to you. So I'm going. The reason I'm going with the mustache is because he actually had one. So I'm assuming that that mark is actually the mustache, right? All right. So you've got a handful of cards here left. You're at 20 even. The uh, the high score, as as you well know, is yourself currently at 26.1. So yep. How many right. cards are left? Uh, a lot. Oh. <laughs> <We've> got, <laughs> we're opening the full pack as opposed nice. to just the 10 that Mark and I do. Um, next, you've got the. Ca- I think this is his nickname was the Caveman for the Giants, Don Robinson. Yeah, I believe so. Because there's a Don Robinson and a Ron Robinson. Yep, you got the right guy. Remember oh, this he guy? Was not bad. He was not bad this year either. Ninety. That's not bad. Remember, he was a big guy when he was with the Giants and wore a huge knee brace in the World Series against the A's. I remember that. Fifteen years. He was a rookie in 1978 and uh, won a World Series in 1979 with the Bucks and pitched all the way through 1992. In 1990. He went 10 and 7 with a 4.57 ERA. He was a starter, 157 two thirds innings, 78 strikeouts, and 80 ERA plus. He won the Silver Slugger for the for the uh, pitcher two years in a row, and uh, all of this will equate to a WAR of positive 0.1. <laughs> he's got real stirrups on too, so you'll get a you'll get a 0.2 out of that. I love that stirrup rule. That's a great rule. I, I won the Little League. Uh, let's see. Ron, Don Robinson, 13 career home runs. Wow. Wow, that's not bad. He had three in 1989 and then two in 90 and won the Silver Slugger both of those years. The other year he had two in 82, he won the Silver Slugger as well. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, I remember he could always get his weight behind it, I guess. Is what yeah. he yes. All right. Uh, you're at 20.2. Next, you have got a guy that is one of the smallest human beings besides uh, Eddie Goodell to ever step on a major league field. I believe he has two career home runs here with the Bucks. It's Raphael Belliard. Yeah, uh, if I recall, without looking it up, um, he produced generally nothing by way of statistics, right? <laughs> now, he was, I mean, he was the epitome of of all glove, no stick. Yeah. Uh, he was a solid shortstop. He is listed at 5'6", 160 pounds, which is actually 10 pounds lighter than uh, Manny Trio. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But right along the same bane here. Uh, yep, yeah. two, two career home runs, 142 career RBI in 17 years in the big leagues. 1990, his last year with the Bucks, he hit 204, 283 on base. Uh, no home runs, shockingly enough. Just, I mean, just no power whatsoever to speak of. And all of that equates to a minus 0.3 war. Yeah, way to go, Rafi. Nice job helping me out uh, there. Well, now you might want to hold on here. <laughs> right. He has got eye black on. He has okay. got a mustache. And he's got real stirrups. <laughs> nice. All right. Wow. So that's, all the above. Yeah, that's three-tenths of a point there, which uh, it equals zero. So like that. with that. Okay. As you said, he added nothing offensively. He just was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knows how to wear a uniform, though. He's got a mustache, eye black, and, and real stirrups. Nice. I'm glad it was a day game that this game. This set of yeah, that's right. That, that is true. <laughs> all right. Next, you've got a Mariner. I mean, that never bodes well. But uh, here, pitcher Gene Harris. Gene Harris. Oh, wow. 
Gene Harris, seven years in the big leagues, four with Seattle, two with the Padres, and then a handful of other teams. Uh, let's see, 1990 with Seattle, he went one and two with a 4.75 ERA coming out of the pen in 25 games, 38 innings pitched, 43 strikeouts. Eh, not bad. Walks, though, he had 30. <laughs> He struck out 43, and I looked at his whip as a reliever Ouch. at 1.6, <laughs> and I went, hmm, that's a lot of walks. Yep. Uh, let's see. All of that equates to a war of minus 0.6. Ouch. Well, he does have a stash anyway. Uh, I can't tell if that if that's a st- yeah, That would be fairly typical of a, a Mariners uh, bullpen resident in the 90s, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll only be a minus 0.5, but you, uh, you, you, were a, you were a lock just a couple of cards ago, and now you're going the wrong way. You know, you see, in any pack, you're bound to get some guys that make you go, huh? These are the guys that it felt like, you know, when I was a kid and I would open up the pack, every pack would have the same, like, Gene Harris card or whatever. You know, it's like, man, I've got, like, 27 of those. I don't need any more of those. Well, let's see how this helps you out. It's an MVP card. All right. Um, unfortunately, though, it's a, it's another Mariner. <laughs> but it's Mr. Mariner, Alvin Davis. A.D. Love him. Alvin Davis is a very good player. Was he still a good player at this point is, is the key. Rookie of the year in 1984, also an all-star that year. The only time he was either an all-star or the rookie of the year. Uh, let's see, nine years in the big leagues, a forgettable final year with the Angels, but every every other year he was with Seattle. 1990, hit 283, a 387 on base, not bad. 17 home runs, 68 RBI. That's not a lot of RBI for playing 140 games. Right. Uh, but he did walk. That's a good on-base percentage. A 129 OPS plus, and that is good for a 2.9. Yeah. He's got yeah, that mustache, too, so that's a an even three. That'll help. Yeah, that'll get you going the right way. That's 22.7. All right, this uh, Mark's going to like this one. This is one of his favorite guys. Second baseman for the Astros, Bill Doran. Yes, Billy Doran. Love him. You know, I, I recall him being a better player than his stats indicate, but he, he, he was pretty pretty good overall player, I think. He was. He was uh, kind of flashy. He kept his mouth shut, but he would, he would do on the field. He would do some pretty impressive things. Well, so actually this is a Bill Doran. Uh, he is the uh, third baseman for the, uh, the Cleveland team from 1922 is actually what this card right. is. It's a different Bill Doran. I'd like to say that's. A different oh. Bill Doran. oh yeah. That's yeah. Uh, that is my bad. I mean, <laughs> I did not expect there to have been two Bill Dorans in major league baseball history, but uh, this one played for 12 years. Most of it with the Astros nine years, three years in Cincinnati, then a final year in Milwaukee, 1990. Uh, let's see. He split time between Houston and Cincinnati. So one of ring, course right? he, yeah. <laughs> you know what? You still don't want to talk about that. Scene? I don't want to talk about that. Hey, was... I spent some time talking about the 86 world series. So yeah, but not this much. I mean, this is, this is a lot. Uh, let's see, 126 games overall, seven home runs, 37 RBI, 23 stolen bases. Boy, a lot of these guys, more walks than strikeouts, which you just that don't was, see now. Day, right? I mean, that was the day yeah. when strikeouts were bad. Right? Yeah. So you guys just would rather slap the ball in play than strike out. And- you were embarrassed if you had 100 strikeouts. Now it's just like a Tuesday. Yep. But uh, 79 walks, 58 strikeouts, a 411 on base percentage. That is elite. Yep. 300 average, a 135 OPS plus, And all of this equals a 3.4 war. It's a good, good card. 
See, I told you, you gotta love Billy Doran. Unfortunately, though, he does have the two and one stirrups, so that will just be a three point three. No eye black, clean. He was shaven. an eye black kind of guy, huh? Yeah. Okay. So uh, this brings you—you've got three cards left. This brings you to twenty-six even. Your and high score is twenty-six point one. But th- this could easily be three negative guys, so you, you know you never know. Well, this I first mean, one is not going to be. I can tell you that right now. Right, that uh, was a big, big, big number. Yep, getting his retire uh, jersey retired finally by uh, by his team this year. It is first baseman for the Giants, Will Clark. Oh, excellent! He will vault me into. I should be safe from stratosphere, from probably here. Part. Yeah, I should be safe. You know from any negative card that could sink me. So let's see the Mississippi state grad. Well, the Mississippi state player, I I never want to assume that they've graduated (laughs) 15 years in baseball. I mean, just one of the best first basemen all around of his time. He Mattingly, Keith Hernandez. I mean, these were just absolute the best at first base in his career. Six time all-star only one goal, one gold glove in 1990. With the Giants, let's see, 19 home runs, 95 RBI, eight stolen bases. That's not too bad. He did strike out a lot more than he walked. He hit 295, 357 on base still, though, and a 125 OPS plus. And that equals a war of 3.5. Excellent. You know, unfortunately for me, it was, you know, straddled between two way better years. You know, 8.6 war in 89 and 5.2 in 91. But I'll take the 3.5 because... That puts me in comfortable position because most guys don't have such a big negative war that I'm going to likely drop like three points, right? That would be tough. Well, if, if this was my pack, I would not I would not rest that easy. But yeah, <laughs> anybody right. Right. anybody well, else, I feel you're pretty safe. Uh, Will also has got some eye black here, so that'll be a 3.6. 29.6 with two cards left. Wow. All right, so I know Mark's going to be able to... It has a 50-50 shot at this. We'll see We'll see what you can do here, John. Uh, next up is one of our two favorite players that hails from Kingston, Jamaica. Mm, so do I got to guess? Well, no, I, I want to see if John, how okay. well John knows his uh, Jamaican baseball players. All right, so so one of two guys from Jamaica? Yep. Yeah, I, no, I don't know that well enough. <laughs> so it's either got to be Chili Davis or Devon White. In this case, it's Devo. Oh, he was good too. Yep. He was. Yeah, I mean, this is a really good pack. You've got some some really good uh, good players here. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Uh, Devo, seven time Gold Glove. I mean, he was he was great out there in center fielder. Three World Series rings, uh, two with Toronto and one with Florida. He spent seventeen years in the big leagues, six in California, five in Toronto, and then some other spots. Nineteen ninety with the California Angels. Let's see, 17 doubles, 11 home runs, 44 RBI, 21 stolen bases. Kind of an off year for, for him running. No, we missed his good year by like a year. Ugh, that's right. <laughs> I, he was I, great in 91, 92, 93. Yep. But that's right. This year he only hit 217 with a 290 on base. That's awful. And a 79 OPS plus. I think his defense is going to help you regardless. That'll be a 1.7 war. Take it. I'll take it. And he's got a mustache, so that'll be a 1.8. And that brings us to your final card. You're at 31.4. Now, if you get a decent card here, you could tack 10 war over your previous high score. Wow, that would be something. It's a diamond I want to run away. I want to go into the clubhouse so far ahead that any guest you have from, from now on has just no chance. 
<laughs> I want to I want to end this thing right here right now. Well, you've got a you've got a Diamond Kings card. Okay. Which I mean, that's good because it's a painting, a, a drawing if you will. And so we always give real stirrup points because if you, if you can see stirrups. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am not sure you're going to get a whole lot more though. I don't know what kind of season Mike Bilecki had. I know he pitched for a while, so maybe he had a good year in 90. Uh, no, it's not looking that way. Oh man, 89 was good. 90. Yeah, so well, I mean, 89 for the Cubs was really good. That's when they went to the yep. NLCS against the the Giants, and Greg yep. Maddox did not cover his mouth when uh, talking about how they were going to pitch Will Smith or Will Smith, Will Clark. Uh, 1990. Yep, with the Cubs, eight and 11 with a 4.93 ERA. 36 games, 168 innings pitched, 103 strikeouts, and uh, 83 ERA plus. And that's going to be a war of 0.3 plus the stirrups. So at least it was a positive 0.4. All right. And that that will take you up to 31.8. That's a big time baller score right there. That is, uh, that's a a pretty big score right there. I'm not going to lie. So you have, uh, you've kind of lengthened your, your lead there. So I'm now so, number one and number two on the list. I'll no, you're just it. number one. You, we, we, you, we can't. Uh, I got wiped. My other score got wiped yep, out. It, oh. In fact, I already typed it in, so it's, it's gone. <laughs> it's officially it's, vanished. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That's all right. I can live with that. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. And uh, let's start to wrap up the show. John, thank you again very much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Got to talk about some players we haven't talked about for a while, like William Van Landingham, who's now going to be stuck in my brain but uh hey you got anything else going on you want to you want to tell people about your book uh we'll put some links in the show notes as well where they can sure. find you sure i mean i'll just i'll just touch on the book I've, i'm working on a bunch of other projects one i'm really excited about and it, it wouldn't fit this show because it's a it's a football book uh, i i uh, i football. can do other sports too i know i like football too what can i tell you um but the forgotten game was such a pleasure to write uh, as a fan, as a, as a writer, just a total blast. Uh, if you're a baseball fan interested in some of the great performances, great games in history, I think you'll like it. Certainly, if you're a Red Sox fan, you'll you'll love it. If you're a Yankee fan, you might not like it quite as much because it's about game five of the 04 ALCS. Even my Yankee fr- fan friends, which I do have some, who have read it, enjoyed it. So I think it, it, it works even for them. All right. Well, we'll put uh, we'll put your social media and a link to that uh, if people want to get that book. We'll put that down in the show notes. But uh, thanks right. again for for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's a blast. I could do this uh, any week you guys want to. Uh, love talking baseball with you guys. You guys are the best. All right. So that was fun. We want to once again thank John Vampatella for coming back and and talking with us there. I will put uh, I think I think I said it before. I'll put all the links in the show notes if you want to check out his book about uh, the Yankees and the Red Sox and that incredible, uh, incredible The forgotten game. Great book. Yes. All right. So, uh, Mark, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Listeners, if you want more of us. You can find us on all the social medias. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O, Strike Noise, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, all the socials. Also, we've got an email address. Mark, you want to tell them about that? We do? Oh, yeah, we do. It's Two Strike Noise, just like Jeff said, spell it out. T-W-O, Strike Noise, at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it. We will see you again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.